0: So a few years ago, I realized that print was getting smaller. (laughs) And it was getting harder to read my Bible and text. Oh, that's ridiculous. Why don't people talk anymore? I'm holding my phone way out to try to see those tiny texts. Somebody told me you can make your font bigger. But I'm so technologically challenged, it hasn't worked out yet. It got harder to read books, and I love to read books. Documents, forget it, I just signed them. And then the list of ingredients on the packaging. You know, I bought things, and I later realized this is not good for me. You know, especially like the calorie content. I thought it said 120, not (laughs) 1,200. And washing instructions. Oh my goodness. I didn't see the dry clean only. And that explains what happened to many of Brian's clothes. And then trying to thread a needle. Oh, my goodness. I could no longer see the hole in the eye of the needle. You know, you're just like, you're closing one eye, then the other. Like, I know it's there. And, you know, you're licking it. And it's just like, And it won't go through. And so I was calling, like, my grandkids. Hey, put the thread through this needle. Grandma, you can't see. Don't, don't, don't. Don't go there. Just do it. Oh, my goodness, Grandma. You need glasses. (laughs) And so what I realized is this is what I thought. The person who shrinks the clothes in my closet is also shrinking the print in everything. Either that or my eyes are actually beginning to weaken. Now, at this place, and this is about 10 years ago, I could still see things at a distance. You know, I could still see the signs on the freeway. I mean, I knew there were signs, And I could pretty much. I remembered what they said, and I could pretty much make out the words. You know, in fact, I would like drive and say, "Okay, now it's cleared. Now it's not clear." (laughs) And I I was kind of playing these games with myself, you know, trying to convince myself that I didn't need glasses. And what happened is, I could take in the big picture, but I couldn't focus on the finer details. Like if you told me to look at a picture and you said, "Find me" or "Find Waldo," there was like no way. I, I couldn't find. I couldn't focus. And I have to say this, though, the good part about this is none of my friends aged. Nobody had lines or wrinkles. I'm just thinking, man, everybody looks so good. But I went out and I went, I'll be honest, I went to TJ Maxx because you could get five pairs of readers for $4.99. So I bought these readers, and at first I started with 100. And, and then pretty soon, 100 wasn't working anymore, 125, 150. When I got to 250, I'm like, okay, I'm going to Lenscrafters. I called up Brian. I'm like, Brian, it's happened. You have to take me. He's like, where? I go to Linscrafter. He goes, oh, it's so long overdue. <laughs> and I remember getting my glasses. And I'm like, Brian, I don't like these. He's like, why? I go, because I look so old. And he goes, no, you don't look that old with glasses on. I'm like, I'm not saying because I'm wearing glasses. I'm saying because I see all my lines now. (laughs) And I'm like, and you look older too. (laughs) Let me just say this, Brian has to pick out my glasses and why they were fitting them. The girl goes, you do realize he picked out the same glasses he's wearing for you. (laughs) I want you to know this, the man has done it twice. He just wants us to look alike. I also bought at this point a magnifying glass for my Bible. I have a purse Bible, and in there is a magnifying glass because nobody can read purse Bible print without a magnifying glass, and that's why the chapel store sells them. I also bought a magnifying mirror that magnifies 12 times. TJ Maxx, again, to the rescue. But in order to see reality, I needed magnification. In order to see the details of life and to even improve myself, I needed magnification. You see, there is a greater reality that even Christians can miss. And it's the reality of Jesus. You see, we see him at a distance. And we can see him really, really well at a distance. And we get the big picture of Jesus. We know he's the son of God. We know he's the Messiah. Kind of like Martha. You know, I know you're the son of God. I know that you're the Messiah. The one sent from God. I know this. But because Mary, because Martha only saw him at a distance, She thought he was for tomorrow. He was insurance for that day that is coming when all the dead will rise. But she needed magnification. And that's what Jesus did. He magnified himself in John chapter 11 to Martha and said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He magnified himself, and then he went to Lazarus' tomb, and he magnified himself again. I'm the one who gives life to the dead. But we have that distant picture of Jesus, that he rose again from the dead, that he's at the right hand of God, and we know this. But it's at such a distance that we miss the important details of Jesus Jesus is God incarnate, God walking the earth. You see, we want to look at Jesus closely. We want to examine him because when we see Jesus, we see the Father because that's what Jesus said in luke cha- I'm sorry John chapter fourteen, Philip, he who has seen me, has seen the Father, so when we look at Jesus. We see the heart of God toward humanity. How does God feel about the world? We're told that God does not afflict willingly. We're told again that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. We're told that God so loved the world, not wishing that any should perish. He sent Jesus Christ. We see God's individual ministry to multitudes, feeding the multitudes, but also to individuals, healing the sick, the tormented, the epileptic, the maimed, the paralyzed, the leper, the blind. We see God's reaction, response, and interaction with the sick, the demonic, the desperate, the self-righteous, and the ordinary, the commonplace, and the nobility. All this we see as we look at Jesus. In Jesus, we hear what God wants us to know about himself, about his relationship to us. We learn that God wants to be a father to us that that's the relationship that he wants with us. Not just to be our, he doesn't want to be our master and just our king. He wants to be our father who is Lord and king. He wants the daughter-father relationship with us. He wants us to come to him in need. And we learn this through Jesus' teaching, his parable, And his lessons. We learn about prayer. What prayer is. What prayer sounds like. Who God listens to. The prayers he answers. We learn about God's word. And how it's a revelation. To us. About God. And what God wants us to know about himself. We learn about God's church. And how God feels about the church this institution that he created. We learn about relationships with each other, how we're to treat each other. We learn about marriage through Jesus. And mostly through Jesus, we learn about God's son, the purpose he came, the necessity of his coming, and the accomplishment of his coming. We learn about the law, what our relationship is, what God intended the law for. This is what we learn through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For it is God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to know about God, you must look at Jesus Christ. In John 12, 28, Jesus prayed and said, Lord, glorify your name. And suddenly, From the heaven, God thundered, I have both glorified it and will glorify it. God is glorified. God is seen through Jesus Christ. In Luke 3.22, God again thundered from the heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus said in John 8, 29, I do always those things that please my Father. You see, even though we like the big picture and even though the big picture of Jesus is important to who he is, God's only son, the Messiah, the Savior, if we don't get a detailed picture, if we do not magnify Jesus, if we do not bring him close to us, insecurities will abound because we will know him as this great God and Savior, but we will doubt his love and favor towards us because we know how undeserving we are and we'll know he's good. We will feel unsure even about God's God's plans and what God is doing. We will lose faith. We, we will not be able to trust God if we keep him at a distance. We will feel like we have to do for God. We'll become very performance oriented instead of letting God do through us. And this will lead us to act independently of God. We'll go rogue. We'll try to do it for ourselves. How often? I don't know. Maybe you haven't done this. I have because I am the biggest sinner in here. But I have said, well, God, since you're not doing it, I guess I'll have to do it. Have you ever done that? I remember years ago that this woman was praying um, for money so she could go to this um, retreat. And the money wasn't coming through, and the money wasn't coming through, so I paid her way because God didn't come through, so I paid her way. She was the biggest curse to that retreat. And I realized later there was a reason God wasn't paying her way. And I came in and, and did it for God. Like, so God wouldn't, like, lose his reputation for providing. Like, don't worry, I'll help you out. I'll keep you afloat. What a curse it was. You know, I I was going to do it for God. Instead of, like, praying and saying, God, is this something you want? I'm doing it for God. I'm I'm keeping his reputation intact. We go rogue and we defend ourselves. We don't trust God to defend us, so we got to defend ourselves. And, And, you know... We got to go out there and we become militant and we fight for our rights in our way. I, I know a woman who, there was a situation in England that arose and it was, it was a hard situation. And two different hurt parties uh, were together at the same fellowship. And this woman who's not even involved, barely knows the two parties, just heard about the situation Felt like she should tackle it and take it on. She was told by a police woman not to tackle it. She was told by a pastor. Over three pastors told her, leave it alone. Just pray about it. Uh, She was told by counselors. All these people were there, were praying, were working in it. But no, she wanted to take it on. She talked to everybody she could about it and said, no. She was telling everybody about this situation. And then at the market, she ran into one of the women who was involved in the situation. She screamed and yelled at this woman so much that security had to be called. And it gave such a bad witness. You know, she thought she was doing it for God. She thought she was showing righteousness. You know, it tells us in James that the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. But what happens when we see Jesus only at a distance? When we see him out there, all of a sudden we start taking on burdens that are not ours. We carry weights that we should leave at the feet of Jesus. And we become overly burdened. And we become militant and angry. And it becomes so hard to serve the Lord. We miss out on all the benefits That are ours through Christ Jesus. I can't tell you how many women, Christian women, I meet, even aged Christian women who do not get grace. They do not understand the concept of grace. They are living under the law. And sometimes it goes beyond the Ten Commandments, they're making up their own laws. You know, I have had women say, I like ice cream so much that I won't eat it because I like it too much. Oh, yeah. Don't enjoy it with Jesus. You know, stay away from that. They put themselves under this law. You know, I I had one woman that she had these ugliest shoes I've ever seen. And I said, wow, those are some shoes. She goes, these are my obedience to God shoes. I said, wow, I never even knew there was such a thing. And she said, yes, because I've been so disobedient. And now I I walk every day for Jesus. I'm like, okay. Well, I'm a sinner. So I'm still sitting on the couch for Jesus. (laughs) But you know, this idea, we put ourselves under this law. You know, I've got to do this. And I've got to do that for Jesus. And we miss the benefit of grace. That grace is God working through us. The Holy Spirit working through us so that we effortlessly, without all this self-effort, please the Lord, we walk in the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit keeps coming out. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Galatians 5.22 becomes the fruit of our lives as we simply get grace and it flows through us. But when we see the Lord only afar off, we lose joy. Oh my goodness, that's one of the first things to go. We become martyrs for the Lord. Yeah, I'm serving the Lord. It's hard. It's tough. Yeah. What about you? What have you given up for Jesus? You know, you know, we do this. We forget about our acceptance in the bluffed that we're accepted, we're qualified by Jesus, by the cross, that's the qualifier. Not my performance, not my goodness, not my sacrifices, none of those things. I am qualified by the cross and the cross alone. And we learn this as we magnify Jesus. It becomes all about Jesus. But again, when we see him only at a distance, Spirituality becomes a duty rather than a delight. Drudgery rather than opportunity. Sacrifice rather than investment in the kingdom. We're thinking about what we have to give up instead of being cheerful givers. Well, I have to pay my tithe because I want a blessing. Instead of, I get to invest in what God is doing, I get to invest in lives that God is saving. We neglect or resent reading our Bibles. How many questions on this day? And can I do it in four minutes or less? I can only say these things because I've been there. Bible study. Oh my goodness, what time does it start again? Prayer, how long is that woman gonna go on about her son? Fellowship, oh. Oh, there's gonna be women. <laughs> Interaction with other believers, I hope they don't ask me a question and expect me to answer it. Worship, this song again? Seriously. That's how it becomes when Jesus is at a distance, and we've all had that. Luke's gospel magnifies Jesus. To magnify is to bring out the details. It's to see what is otherwise hidden or too small to realize or unnoticed. It's to enlarge so that something can be seen for what it is. It's to bring it into focus. It's to put under intense magnification for the sake of understanding, perceiving, seeing, enjoying, benefiting, appreciating. It's to bring out into the open or the light. And that's what Luke's gospel does. It magnifies Jesus. It brings out the details. I'm going to warn you, this is the longest of all the gospels. There are four gospels. This is the longest one. And chapter one is the longest chapter in the New Testament. Welcome to joyful life. (laughs) So worth it though. Luke cites places and politicians, people who were close to Jesus, parables Jesus told, particular situations. This is what you'll find as Luke magnifies Jesus. Luke says in Luke 1 4 that his purpose in writing this gospel was to show the certainty of the things that we've believed, the absoluteness, the, the trustworthiness. Of everything we believe. He addressed this gospel and the book of Acts to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus, besides being the name you ever heard, <laughs> means lover of God. The context and the Greek implies that this man, Theophilus, was a man of great social standing, but a believer. Church tradition has that Theophilus actually underwrote or paid for the costs of Luke to write this gospel. And he wanted this gospel in order to give it to his Gentile friends that they might be saved, that they might know the certainty of Jesus. Let me just say this. Jesus is a historical reality. He's attested to by both secular historians and biblical historians. We have four gospels. Do you think there's a reason for that? And each gospel is just a little bit different to bring out the details that Jesus might be magnified. You see, the gospel, the word itself means good news. Jesus didn't come with edicts and regulations Or even an enhancement of like, I saw that you weren't keeping the law. No, he came with the good news. That he is the son of God. Would keep the law for you. And die for you. That you might enter into all his blessings. This is good news. And Luke wrote. To let the Gentile world know. The certainty of this good news. Luke is believed to be a Gentile himself. Perhaps he was a Hellenized Jew, a secular Jew. We know, according to Colossians 4.14, that he was a physician, a doctor. Paul calls him the beloved physician. He was interested, therefore, in details, always wanting to know the cause behind the symptoms. He was one who scrutinized and studied. And he tells us that he set out an orderly account. Luke's gospel is the only gospel that is chronological. Now, there is some chronological order to the other gospels, but Luke set out a chronological order to Jesus' life. Hebrew writers, Jewish writers, were more interested in grouping the same ideas together. Are grouping events together that all kind of focused on the same theme. So they were very thematic. But Luke is writing more as a Gentile because he's, this gospel is going to go to Gentiles. So he's got a historical and chronological order to it. That's why he starts with the birth of Jesus and goes all the way to you know, Jesus on the Emmaus road with the disciples and ascension into heaven. Luke tells us that he investigated. We're told that he interviewed. I mean, you've got an interview with Elizabeth probably talking about her husband, Zacharias, all that went on. You've got a firsthand account of Mary, maybe even a shepherd that was at the site because he talks in detail about the shepherds leaving and praising God for the things that they had seen. You've got accounts from different people that Luke gathered and interviewed to verify the gospel accounts. So there is also verification. Luke also documented the time by citing political leaders, the laws, and edicts at that time. In Luke chapter 2, it begins with when Quirinius was governor of Syria. An edict went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This happened when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so he gives you the time. It's interesting, just on a side note. There were those critics of the Bible that said, Quirinius, it doesn't match up with the time um, that Luke says with Jesus, because we believe that Jesus was born in about 3 BC. And it doesn't match up, because this is when Quirinius was governor of Syria. It was somewhere around um, 10 BC. But then we find out, they found out through an archaeological dig, they found a stone that talked about Quirinius' rule, and they found that he came back to rule over Syria a second time, right at the time when the edict went out from Caesar Augustus. This was the second edict that all the world should be taxed. I mean, Luke brings such a verification to these things, and archaeologists have found Luke to be the most credible um, resource for them to know what they're seeing and the time element. It's, it's just amazing. He, more than any other gospel writer, gives you the location or the where it happened. He gives you a geographical place. He tells you about towns and roads and cities and regions, stables and houses, where these things took place. He explains Jewish customs with Aramaic, and Aramaic terms, Jewish customs and Aramaic terms, using Greek words so that Gentiles can understand. So he gives an explanation of some of these traditions and rituals so we can understand exactly what Jesus is fulfilling. Luke wrote this gospel before he wrote the book of Acts, putting this gospel somewhere between 10, could even be earlier, 10 to 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Luke was able to get these eyewitness accounts from those who saw Jesus, heard Jesus, walked with Jesus, were related to Jesus, and knew Jesus intimately, heard Jesus. In Luke one forty-six through 55, Luke records what has come to be known as Mary's Magnificat. It is a song of sp- Or psalm of praise, and it extols God's goodness, God's great plan, God's faithfulness. And it begins with this phrase My soul magnifies the Lord. That's exactly what we want to do this year at Joyful Life. Bringing back David in Psalm 34:3, he says, Let's magnify the Lord together. There is something that happens when we magnify the Lord together. And I know we can magnify the Lord alone and we can get these revelations. Sometimes heaven opens up and it's awesome. But if you can bring that time to Joyful Life and share it with your group, then everybody gets edified. Everyone is able to magnify the Lord. Now, I know when I go to like a museum or I look at a painting, I minored in art history that sometimes I'll miss something. And somebody, a friend, will point that out and say, did you know this? For instance, Charles I, the king of England, he was so short, you're going to want to know this, <laughs> that he always had his picture taken with Palomino ponies so he would look bigger. And he's the one who developed the... The um, King Charles the Cavalier, uh, that's a uh, mix between a Cocker Spaniel and a Springer Spaniel. Because Springer Spaniels were the hunting dog kind of of England, but he made them smaller so he would look larger in all the pictures. And so there's little details that, that I've had people point out to me about King Charles and about his portrait that used to hang in um, the auditorium of the Westminster City School that we used for our fellowship. And it's it's so, you can look at a painting, but if an artist comes, or somebody who started, studied art, they start pointing out details. And you know what? Your appreciation of the artist is enriched. You're like, oh my goodness. If, if they start pointing out to you the angles, or um, the perspective, the you know, sometimes you look at these paintings and it wasn't until the Venetian artists that they started painting folds in clothing and showing the crinkle. I mean, to me, that just, when I see like, when I see those folds and curtains and the richness, it's just, oh my goodness, this artist is amazing. But as you begin to see the details, your appreciation for the artist, for his work, For his talent, for even his subject matter is enhanced and enriched. So, this year at Joyful Life, we wanna magnify the Lord together. We wanna take notes of the details of Jesus' ministry. We want to enlarge our vision of Jesus. We wanna bring Jesus into focus, and we wanna see Jesus, really see Jesus, not a cursory glance. But a study, an examination, a scrutiny. As we magnify Jesus together, he will intensify insignificance in our lives. We will grow in appreciation of his artistry. And as we magnify Jesus and he's seen in his magnificence, we will be more secure. Secure in his love, secure in his goodness secure in his grasp, secure in his grace, secure in his mercy. We will grow more dependent on Jesus. We will wait on him longer. We will wait on him. We will wait for him. We won't want to move without him. We will desire him more. We will recognize his presence with us. We will acknowledge him in all our ways and let him direct our paths, we will look to him for all our needs and blessings and power and strength. We will begin to truly live and enjoy the blessings that God has made accessible and available to us through Jesus and even wants us to have. We will enjoy the forgiveness of sins, grace for our failures, hope in our trials, comfort in our hardship, joy in our lives, and expectation in his work. We will grow and be strengthened in faith because faith is really holding on to Jesus. And faith grows as it is fed, like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. But as it is fed, it will become a tree in our lives that Others will come and rest in the shade of. We will invest more in Jesus. We will trust him more. We will want to give more and more to Jesus, more of the situations, more of our burdens. We won't want to just give it to Jesus. People, problems, our joys, even. We will want to grow and we will grow in our knowledge of God the Father and in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, what he's like. Our spiritual activity will become an overflow of our lives. Our desires will change. Old habits will fall away. And new disciplines will take their place. We will have excitement and zeal and passion in our spiritual lives. We will enjoy fellowship. And the insights we receive and the details we find about Jesus will want to talk about to anybody and everybody. Watch yourself at the market. <laughs> prayer will become a lifestyle, a go-to, an absolute. I have found myself where prayer is just, well, Kathy does it too. Sorry, Kathy Gilbert. She's going to go under the bus with me right now. But it's like you'll be talking and the problem will get so bad. And Kathy and I both do this. We just start praying. It's like I'll be talking to Kathy, and i would be like, oh, we're praying. (laughs) Or I'll be talking to her, and she's kind of like, oh, we're praying. Because we're just like, we're going to give it to Jesus right then. You know, if we're talking about a friend's prodigal, Lord, you know what's going on with him. Because you know what? You get to the end of talking, and you don't know the answers, but we can pray right then and just give it to Jesus. Lord, you see, you know, we want your work in this. We want the divine to come in. That's what's going to happen And you will become more aware of God working and moving in your life because you'll recognize him. Because you've been watching him. You've been scrutinizing. You've been studying him. So you will recognize his work more readily. This is the Lord. Like Jacob, surely the Lord was in this place. And I knew it not. You will say, surely the Lord is in this place right now, right here. And prayer it will become such a delight you will hear his voice more clearly answering you in prayer speaking to you giving you a perspective giving you a plan so let's magnify the Lord together this year let's do it let's do it let's study the gospel of Luke do the lesson you know what if it gets too long skip the question skip the question that's all right you're under grace you can skip the question You could go back later. You could even answer it in group because you like her answer better than anything you would have come up with. (laughs) You can do this lesson with friends. You can say, let's get together at Starbucks or Pete's or Coffee Bean or Hidden House or uh, Portola and let's, or any other coffee shop or Calvary Chapel, let's get together and let's do this. Let's just do day three together for fun. And I just... Come up corporately with it. You could do it with your husband. Men love answering questions and having all the answers. You know that. (laughs) You can do it and then meditate. Think about it. Think about it all day. Write down your favorite thing. uh, Open it up and go, this was my favorite thing. And then come to the groups. Talk about your discoveries. Hear the discovery of others. Answer questions, ask questions. Testify about what Jesus has done for you. And then worship. Let's magnify the Lord for who he is and what he is. Oh, what a death that will bring to our worship and our time. Like Mary, the praise will just flow out. Like Zachariah, we won't won't be able to hold it in. Our mouths will open. And it will just flow forth. And we will listen to the Bible study that it might be ratified. All the things that the Lord has shown us. You know, sometimes you read it and you're like, I'm thinking that God is saying this, but Lord, Lord, ratify it. Like, let Cheryl say, "Eeny, Eeny, Meeny, meeny. Or, you know, let Cheryl say it. You know you've done this because I've done this. Like, Lord, let Brian say it. And he's even my husband. I could have told him before, but I didn't because I want to hear it from the Lord. Let Debbie Phalangus say it. You know, I have these, you know, just Lord, ratify it ratify it. God has so much for us this year as we magnify Jesus. He wants to magnify himself in your life that he might bring you into the greatest riches of his presence. We live with so much less than what God has for us because we leave Jesus at a distance And we miss the details. So let's magnify the Lord together. Let's stand up. May the Lord bless you and guide you. May He open up your understanding that you might perceive the things that you read. May the Lord fill you with such joy as you read his word that you'll overflow and be writing words of praise. May the Lord bless you and strengthen you, energize you and give you a passion that you've never experienced before for him and his presence and his word. May you go out with joy and be led forth with peace. May your mountains... Be complaints before you. And not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of the living God. Lord, I present to you these, your daughters. I have blessed them in your name because you are a blessing, God. And I ask for your blessing to be upon them, to go with them, to go before them, and to follow them as surely goodness and mercy may have followed them all the days of their lives. Bless, now we pray, your word to their hearts, to their minds, to their fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen.